Hello, I'm Sybil Patry, and this is my charter story from CFA Institute. I'm so delighted to be part of this podcast and introduce you to charter holders from all over the world. On this episode, we'll meet Eric Sim, a former UBS managing director, finance professor, author, the founder of the Institute of Life, and one of the most followed CFA charter holders on LinkedIn. As of today, that's more than 2 million followers. Rejection and failure actually play a central part in Eric's story. And while it's a positive ending, it's important to hear that the journey is often not linear and not always filled with success. Welcome, Eric. It's really an honor to be speaking with you today. Thank you very much. You've said that being a CFA charter holder is a major ingredient in successfully becoming a hugely influential social media star. (laughs) I've got to say, this is definitely not something that crossed my mind when I sat down for the exams. It is through CFA, it is easy to connect with people. When I started writing on LinkedIn, it gave me an international network. I went to look up CFA charter holders in other parts of the world and they accept my connection, and they became my first few followers on LinkedIn to read my story. So that is number one, international network. And especially today, it's even more important that when we cannot travel, and you need some commonality to connect with people. So this is really inspirational. Networking is very hard when your channels are limited. Sometimes fear of rejection kicks in. I love how Eric created an international CFA network for himself simply by connecting on LinkedIn using the CFA charter as the common denominator. However, creating those types of connections is not something Eric did overnight. His professional path has seen its fair share of pivots and obstacles. I'm honored to share the similarities in our stories through this podcast. Although we all come from extremely different walks of life, it's a treasure when you find the common thread. Like me, Eric's first real job experience started working alongside his family at an early age. I grew up helping my father sell prawn noodles on the street. Uh, He's a street food vendor. He sold prawn noodles for 30, 30 over years. I helped him from elementary school, when I was in elementary school, till when I was in the university. So he rested one day a year, which is the first day of Chinese New Year. And I have to help him every Sunday and every public holidays, which means on Christmas Eve, I cannot go out because on Christmas Day is a holiday. 7 a.m. I need to be at the street food store. I think when I was young, when I was a teenager, sometimes, you know, I forgot and uh, I went out till very late and next morning without, without sleeping, came back at 5 a.m. without sleeping, get myself changed. I'm at the store at 7 a.m. already. So that's pretty much my childhood. I understand that when you're helping to support your family, there's nothing more important, even if you might not realize it at the time. Helping your family isn't always a choice. And for those with the privilege of having a more carefree childhood, it's good to pause and think about the hidden challenges, but also opportunities that this type of childhood brings. It wasn't something that I like to do. 
you know, going to, to help. But I felt that I, I need to do that. And that shaped my life a lot for, for my future career. Working for his father instilled a very strong work ethic at an early age. But working so hard for his father didn't leave a lot of time for other things, including studying. During his middle school years, he failed his math class. Because of this failure, he decided to devote any free time he had strictly to mathematics. And as we'll dive into later, the early failure set up Eric for determination and success. So I didn't watch TV for one year, didn't play, just focus. The following year, I passed my mathematics, but I failed my English and I got 28 out of 100 for my literature. And that inferiority complex, you know, about weakened languages, stay with me until recent years. And the way I do it is to force myself to write. Eric's determination to succeed and break out of failure pushed him in everything he did. Because of his background in food and beverage, he decided to apply for a job working behind a bar in a popular nightclub. In second year of my university, my father's store has to be given up because that whole market was going to be redeveloped. So we decided that it is too tough for him and then, you know, he was already getting old. So why not just quit? So since then on the third year, since I didn't have to go to the store to help out, so I decided to go to a nightclub and apply for a bartending job. I've never been a bartender, so the, the person uh, say, hey, do you know how to make drinks? I say, I'm, I've got no experience, but if you give me the recipe, I will study like me studying for my exam. So he said, okay, come, you can start work coming Monday. This is the recipe. And I got the recipe, so I studied really hard as if it was my engineering exam, how to make things like the Singapore Sling, which was a very famous uh, cocktail in Singapore. Of course, you got the, the easy drink, like the bourbon Coke. If somebody say, JD Coke means it's Jack Daniel and Coke. You got the other different types of beer, champagne. Then there are some funny names like Grasshopper or Black Russian, Kalua Milk. So I memorized all of those. So Monday was okay. Monday was a quiet night. So I can take my time to, after taking the order, study the recipe and then make the drink. Tuesday was okay. Wednesday is ladies' night. So ladies get in free. And the guys will come in because there are many ladies. So it got a little bit busier. And there was a band playing. So people were dancing. But when the band took a break, the people who were listening to the band rushed to the bar. So there's Eric, third night on the job, working an island bar out in the middle of a crowded dance floor, all by himself with the sea of people swarming him. Some will shout, bourbon coke, gin tonic, grasshopper, white wine, beer. And then if it's a beer, you need to ask what beer. Some people cannot decide what beer they want to have. Wine, is it red wine or white wine? You know, they, they, sometimes they are not clear. And also the music was so loud. So I couldn't handle. I tried to make my drink as fast as I can. When the band started playing, they went back without the drink because I was too slow. So came Thursday, I was a little bit faster because now I memorized the drinks. So to make cocktail drink is not just the recipe. It is also what glass to use. Is it a champagne glass? 
Is it a margarita glass? Is it a tall glass, a ball, high ball glass? What's the garnish? Is it to go with lime or lemon or orange? You know, a slice. So all that, does it come with a... If it's a Singapore sling, you need to put that little umbrella with a slice of pineapple. So I memorized all of that. Still, I fail. Then Eric had an epiphany. What was important was not the precise drink request so much as the alcohol and serving it fast. So came Friday, the busiest time. The band stopped playing, customers, like four layers of customers uh, in front of me. Then halfway through, I, I freeze, I stopped doing the drinks and I look at them from left to right and I told them, I'm going to make bourbon coke now. Who wants bourbon coke? The person who ordered the Singapore sling, he changed to bourbon coke. The person who ordered this beer, don't he cannot decide what beer, so he changed to bourbon coke. Half the customers changed to bourbon coke, so now it's very easy for me. I then put 10 glasses, put ice in there, put bourbon. I didn't have to then put down my bourbon, right? I, I can just uh, use the, the bottle and then just straight through. Then use the soda gun. There's a C on it, on the soda gun. I just press C then Coke will come out just like a little fire hose spraying onto all these 10 glasses and I serve them. So my manager was happy because we got more sales. Customers were happy because they can then go back to the band and then some people were happy because their girlfriends were waiting for them. And their girlfriends were so impressed. How do you get the drink so fast? I was happy because I can <laughs> do it more efficiently. Eric realized he could apply this notion to a broader business strategy and actually used this experience to help break into finance later on. But first, Eric hoped to see the world. A lot of my friends go traveling in Europe, especially a lot of students go traveling in Asia as well. Singapore is a small place. Usually people will, will go overseas during their university time, during summer holidays or after. So I didn't have the money to travel and I really wanted to travel to see the world. I've never gone much out of Singapore. So what is the best way to travel around the world without spending my own money? So I thought, yeah, why don't try the airlines? I couldn't go for a pilot job because I wore glasses. So I read on the newspaper, there's an advertisement saying that, hey, you know, we are hiring cabin crew. Eric proceeded to go through quite an extensive interview process. So it's to test us, the hopefuls who wanted to give it a go at being a cabin crew. So they put us into groups of 10 and we'll play games in this little room. So we play board games, card games, and they want to see, are you a team player? So if you are too quiet, you don't get a job. If you try to dominate the conversation, or the discussion, you don't get the job. Because as a cabin crew, you really need to work with other people. Eric was delighted to find out he was one of the only few people to move to the next round of the interview, a swimming test. He was not a strong swimmer, but was able to swim the 50 meters required to move on to the final round of the interview. He was told to dry off and relax. The remaining few interviewees gathered together. So then we were drinking tea. The interviewer, I think like senior HR person, was drinking tea with us. We were crowding around him and he asked, do you think food is more important or service is more important? So without missing a beat, I raised my hand. I said, sir, 
food is more important. You may leave now. That's what he said to me. So I didn't get a job because for an airline, service is very crucial, especially a premium airline. Eric knew in his heart the job was not right for him. Looking back, he is still glad he did not give the answer the airline wanted to hear. I'm glad that I didn't get the job because I'm not a service-oriented person at that time. The reason why I say food is because I was helping at the street food store. At the street food store, there is no such thing as service. We need to serve quick and we need to serve good food. So I'm, I never eaten at a restaurant before. So I got no idea what service is. And then if, if he had recruited me, I would be giving very bad service. I mean, have you been to some Chinese restaurant where they, when they serve you tea, right? They put their fingers into the tea cup and then serve you. I was giving that type of service. Imagine I give that type of service to, to airlines client. It will be a disaster for both me and, and the airline. The rejection actually helped Eric break into the world of finance with DBS Bank. Reflecting on his experience as a bartender, Eric's ability to increase drink sales impressed the hiring manager just enough to give him the opportunity he needed, even though it did not work out exactly as he had hoped. Because I've got no business sense, very poor social skill, and I didn't do well in my first job, so I decided to reset by going to the UK to do my master's uh, in finance. The CFA exam was not even on the radar at this point. Again, this reminds me of myself because I felt like I needed that master's in finance before I would even consider taking the CFA exam. For many of us that looked at this exam from the outside for a while, it is an intimidating feat. I think I was aware of CFA when I was doing my first banking job. I never dreamed that I can do a CFA. And then CFA is known not to be an easy exam. Um, so that wasn't on my mind to, to take the CFA. Eric earned his master's in finance at Lancaster University in the UK, finishing his degree in 1997, ranking first in his class. I want to talk about Eric's imposter syndrome here. He mentioned that he has no business sense or social skills, yet ranks first in his class for his master's. Imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. It disproportionately affects high-achieving people who find it difficult to accept their accomplishments. Many question whether they're deserving of accolades. And despite the accomplishment, Eric struggled to find work, which could be in part to him not believing in himself quite yet, but also could be because he didn't even own a proper suit for interviews. And of course, in London, you need to wear really nice suit. And I went to Oxfam. Oxfam is a charity organization. They sell secondhand clothes. So I bought something that is oversized. That's what they have. With little money and no job prospects in the UK, Eric decided to return to Singapore at the height of the Asian financial crisis. Despite applying to several finance roles, Eric was having a very difficult time. So I was jobless for six months. I, was, I got no more money. I was like using my credit card. But that didn't stop Eric. His determination led him to rethink his path once again. 
Then I decided to change to risk management. I said, okay, instead of front office, let me do risk management job. Let me do it for a year or two. Maybe I go back to front office after that. So the moment I changed to risk management, I got a couple of offers because during the Asian financial crisis, bank realized that their risk management was not very sound, and some banks start losing money. And I was very lucky. I met my boss who believed in me. And I thought he would give me very good training and、uh, give me the confidence when I, if I work for him. So I I got that job at Standard Chartered Bank, and then my boss at that time was Prasanna Tombre. Still in touch with him. Very grateful to him for grooming me and seconding me to London as well as to Hong Kong. And something that I thought I would work for one or two years, end up I ended up I worked there for four years. Sometimes all it takes is to have that one person believe in you, your boss, your mentor, your family. In this case, it was Tom Berry, Eric's boss at Standard Charter Bank. With a firm grip on the world of finance, Eric decided to revisit the idea of taking the CFA exam he had heard about so many years ago. So I took it when I was working for Standard Charter Bank. I took my level one, level two, and I passed because I thought my masters is good, but I wanted something more because again, you know,、uh, because of inferiority complex, I need to overcompensate. Thinking that I was an engineer by training, just one year of masters in finance not good enough. So let me reinforce some of my my concept, learn a bit more about asset management. Once my boss left, I went to apply for City. And city, there was a boss who very senior guy came, interviewed me. You know, sense that he's recruiting for front office like a financial engineer. And I was doing risk management, so again, not hundred percent match, right? I haven't done front office except for my first job. But my CFA told him I by the time I already passed level one, level two, and I told him that I'm going to take level three soon. So to him, CFA is not a proof of how much you know, but it proves that number one, you have the self-discipline to study. Number two, you are interested in self-development. You no, know, if you are not interested in self-development, there's no reason to spend your after-office hour to go and study for an exam that you may or may not pass. And number three, you are smart enough to grasp this concept. Especially, you know, when your first degree is not finance, I think that's part of the reason I got the job. So the CFA probably tip it over in my favor. Some of Eric's old doubts, his struggle with English, and the fear of failure, and once again his inferiority complex, aka imposter syndrome, were in the back of his mind. But it certainly did not deter him. I just need to admit, these are the same reasons I did my masters and then the CFA. It was a constant voice in my head saying, "I need to prove myself even more. The masters is not enough." Oh, it was hard. It was hard. Level one was, I think, not difficult, not so difficult.、Uh, level two,、uh, because a lot of essay writing, I wasn't good in my English, as you know, so that was difficult. I thought I might fail. To his surprise, Eric did pass level two, but as the level three exam approached, Eric's workload got very heavy, and he didn't have enough time to study. 
He was not confident he could pass, so he told his boss he was not going to take level three. Then my boss said, you're already here, just, just go for it. Why don't you just take two, three days of leave and go and study really hard for it? So the exam was on a Saturday, so I took Wednesday to Friday. I was studying like weekends before, just not very intensive. I went and then I, I passed. was really, really fortunate to pass on the, on the first go. Yeah. Reflecting back, Eric is very happy he committed to taking all three levels when he did. I may have uh, wait for another year. But the thing about CFA and many things in life is there is never a good time. Because the following year, it could be preparing for wedding. Maybe you fall sick. There's always something happening. There is unlikely to be a time that you are so free. The next best thing to do is to do your CFA. Life is not like that, you know. Life is always throwing curveball at you and there's always something more important or more urgent to do. For Eric, the CFA exam and the CFA charter, which he accumulated after three years of relevant experience, had a greater impact on his professional career than he could have ever imagined. So having the charter, the first thing I start asking around, can I print CFA on my business card? They didn't say no, so I, I printed. And I think nothing about it, you know, CFA, I passed on my first exam, no big deal, right? So many people pass. Then my job requires me to travel to different places. So I was traveling to China, to Taiwan, Thailand. So the thing about when somebody meet you for the first time, sometimes it's also not easy to ask like what school you come from. Even if I tell you my school, like National University of Singapore, you may not have heard of it, right? If I told you I come from DBS Bank, my first job, you may not have heard of it as well, depending on where you are from. But if I say CFA, and if we are all in the finance industry, or if my client is using financial services, I don't have to explain. They know what it means. They know you have taken three exams and you have passed. Doesn't matter how many attempts you try, you pass, you are off minimum standard. So a few of them were impressed. I continue to insist on printing CFA for all my jobs from then on, even though some companies say that, oh, it is not our company policy to print letters behind your name. I say that these are not letters, this is CFA. So when I insist, yeah, I, I get my way and then I, I continue to, to do that. Even now that I run my own business, education business, I still print CFA on my own uh, business card. So that's the power of branding. And that's when I first know, oh, as a person, right, Eric Sim, there's no brand. But Eric Sim, CFA, there is some branding. So the $270 is worth paying because that branding helps you. And today, if you go and Google me, Eric Sim, if you don't find anything when you search for Eric Sim, but you will definitely find something if you type Eric Sim CFA. So in my bio, I always put Eric Sim Commerce CFA because when I give speeches or what I teach in the university, they say, hey, can you send us your bio? I make sure that CFA follows uh, after my name. So the search engine will know anything that's Eric Sim CFA is pointing to me. So they can gather because there will be thousands of Eric Sim around the world. They do not know which one. So CFA become a handle to tell Google that bio, that page is me. 
Eric's journey from selling prawns for his dad to bartending, rejection from a variety of career pursuits, and ultimately publishing a book that future financial leaders are reading is nothing short of extraordinary. I am so glad we get to share these stories with all of you. I hope you will sit with Eric's story and use it to ignite determination in your next endeavor. Thank you for listening to my charter story, and we'll see you back here again very soon. I feel CFA as an organization will also help us in various ways. So I'm very grateful for that.